Hello, my name is Cal Barrent, and welcome to a bit of a different episode of Away From The Pitch. Normally, by now, you'd be hearing the sweet, sultry tones of Dylan Arvella as he uh, interviews a local from the Illawarra footballing scene. But for this episode, we're going to, I guess, flip the script on its head, and I will be interviewing Dylan himself. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, Cal, and it's fantastic to hear your voice. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd experience to be on the other side of, of an interview. I do want to say before we really get going that this was Bobby Mazewski's idea. I'm happy enough to talk about myself, <laughs> but I am not vain enough to think a large swath of people will be overly interested in what I have to say. But we'll see how we go. Oh, look, I'm just disappointed this wasn't the first episode. You, in, Dylan on Dylan, that would have been just riveting stuff. <laughs> Well, uh, you did suggest that you could have interviewed yourself, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see how you go in the in the hosting chair. Well, it'll it'll definitely be a bit of an interesting uh, situation for sure. So, for people who haven't, I guess, heard the program mentioned in the intro, Dylan essentially talks to someone who's had a bit of time with the local Illawarra footballing scene, uh, and I guess Dylan, in the case of you, you have been a player referee. And media extraordinaire to the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> I guess my uh, my first question that I want to ask is essentially, what was your first experience with football in the Illawarra region? I've had an interesting relationship with football in the Illawarra. I played from under sevens through till when I was about uh, 18, 19 years of age. But in terms of my first experience, it was a Wollongong Wolves game. When I was about five or six years old, I, I honestly don't remember too much of it. But what I do remember is it was a win stadium. So it was probably a year or two after the side left Brandon Park, the famous Brandon Park. And I remember sitting on the hill with my dad and a couple of his friends. So that's the first memory that I sort of have. But like I said, can't remember too much. And beyond that, Probably my first memory of the Illawarra Premier League was going to Albion Park White Eagles games occasionally because I was I lived, grew up in Albion Park Rail. I played for Albion Park Junior Soccer Club. And probably the first player that I can remember was a uh, Guinean international called Balamudi Conde who played for the side around 2008 because there was a little bit of buzz about this, this foreigner, this international player that had come to the club. After that... I had a few friends that played for for Bulleye that led to me going to watch a couple of Bulleye games throughout high school. And yeah, I was a, I've refereed where I've had the opportunity to be an AR for a handful of Premier League games before I yeah moved into moved into working for Football South Coast in a media capacity. And also just to add to my small list of um footballing exploits so I did did get the opportunity to coach junior football for four years, a couple of years with Jalaba and a couple of years with Albion Park back in the day. So yeah, it's a interesting relationship. I can't say that I've been involved in been involved or uh, connected with Illawarra football deeply for since for a long time, but uh yeah, that's basically a bit of background on that front. I do wanna I do wanna talk about you were a ref before you, I guess, jumped over to the media side of um, FSC. How long were you a referee for? I refereed for six, seven, eight years, perhaps. I started when I was week 13. 
there was a referee coordinator called Eddie Udalinden out at Albion Park, who was a, a really lovely fellow that uh, helped me out for the first couple of years there. And yeah, I refereed there for three or four years. I was lucky enough to, my first ever game, I think was maybe, my, the first game I ever officiated was as a linesman. It would have been under 13s or 14s. And now A-League uh, fourth official and assistant referee Lockie Keevers was the center that day. Uh, so that's my little claim to fame in that aspect of the game. But yeah, I went referee there for a few years. Then I would, um, you know, moved around to different clubs, refereeing at Shell Harbour, at Coniston, at South Coast United, plenty of different clubs, just basically depending on what opportunities they could uh, afford me. I'd never, I, I like to think I was a fairly decent referee, <laughs> as most referees would like to uh consider themselves and but probably I um the highest sort of level that I would have refereed was say the under 18s competitions and districtly youth grade. Uh I think I did I did one one Premier League youth grade game and then lines for, for you know the the older age groups in those two divisions as well. But you know a really enjoyable experience and it's something that uh has given me an appreciation for that side of things. And I think that my appreciation for refereeing has carried on to my work in in the media side of things because I try and get along with all the referees that, that are officiating in local football and talk to them after the match. If, if I get there early enough and they're not refereeing beforehand, I sometimes have a yarn to them beforehand because they can offer a really good insight into different uh, particular things and also... Uh, can bail me, bail me out a number of times in case I miss something through the game. Absolutely. I guess were there any were there any memorable games you uh, called during your time as a referee? Um, probably a game that I would remember was a game at uh, McLennan Park. It was Wollongong United against South Coast United against South Coast United, and I think it may have ended up being a draw. But I remember it once one time. South Coast United broke down the line. I was an AR in this game, and mm. I was and um, broke down the line. It was a pretty close call, but I didn't give, I didn't give an offside, and it ended up going out for a corner. And uh, Wollongong United's captain at the time, Brendan Riley, who is a terrific player, but also quite an intimidating fella, gave me a bit of a spray, which uh, <laughs> is definitely something that lingers in the mind. Um, but yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, I can't really recall too many of my junior games. I did a couple of green finals here and there of, you know, year under 15, 16, 17s and whatnot. But uh, in terms of older uh, football, yeah, that's my uh, my main memory is probably copying a bit of a spray. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, there's a good chance that it might have been offside. So <laughs> Brendan might have uh, might have had a, a fair case. I guess that's very much a uh, referee's rite of passage, isn't it, to get a spray from a from a captain? <laughs> I um, you eventually did move on to, I guess, the media unit of FSC. What made you want to hand in your whistle? Essentially, it was also refereeing actually linked me up with being a reporter because I remember after one game, former FSC reporter who's now working for the Daily Telegraph, Daniel Magookan, walked into the shed to see a, a photo of the team sheet after the match. And that's the first time I actually realised that these games were getting covered by people other than the Mercury. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was fairly late on in the season, and I didn't think too much of it. But then the I saw an ad go up on the Facebook site that just before the preseason cup in 2017, and I, I applied. But really, before that, I'd been writing for for free on a few online sites such as the Raw Sports. Uh, there was one called From the Stands as well covering things such as writing about, you know, professional football, usually about Manchester United or the Premier League um, or the Socceroos or, well, international football. So it was something I had been writing for free in the smaller, in a smaller sort of capacity. But yeah, that was, there was the, the opportunity to write on local football was a fantastic um, thing that I, I grabbed as soon as I saw that ad come up probably around February 2017. Absolutely. I guess, can you remember what some of those first games you were reporting on uh, felt like? What would, what would that have been? You know, walking in, suddenly you're no longer a referee or you're here to just, I guess, report the facts of the game. The first game that I reported on was actually, as with all reporters, was a um, like a trial to see if you were, if you liked doing it and if you were up to reporting on it. And that was a... a uh, Pre-season cup game at Tar- the beautiful Tarawana Oval between Balambi and Helensburg. Helensburg won that game uh, 1-0, Brad Boardman scoring the winner on that occasion. And what I remember from that day, it was pretty warm. And I remember actually walking in there with a backpack and these about 100-page 100 100 page notebook as if I was going to reuse it all. And um, I had about two pages of notes before... Uh, game had even kicked off and I ended up writing about five pages of notes and I probably only watched about 20 minutes of the game. So that's what I remember from that <laughs> particular match. And over the years, I've probably refined that down to just carrying a, carrying in a little notepad just to take important notes. But that's what I recall from the, that day. And also then the next game was uh, Tarawana playing Coromel with uh, Sarve Trineski scoring a winner to win that particular game 1-0. But that was my first experience as a football South Coast reporter, and I guess it took off from there. Yeah, and by the sounds of it, you enjoyed it, and I imagine it was definitely something you wanted to, you know, stick to. And uh, (laughs) as you did, I think you you were in the the FSC media team for a period of about about three years, correct me if I'm wrong there? Uh, So two full seasons, then half of about a third of one season, as well as the grand final last last year, I was lucky enough to be involved with as well. Absolutely, and I I do know that you did take part in one of the first live stream games that uh, Football South Coast ended up doing, which I believe was at Balls Paddock back in twenty seventeen. Uh, t- tell us a bit about that experience. It was really a fantastic opportunity because it was a it was a huge game. It was a game between Bulleye and Bulleye Olympic to with the winner taking out the league title. It was a massive crowd there on the day. We'd only been told, Bobby only contacted me a couple of days beforehand to say he was interested in getting this up and running, something that Football South Coast not, or, or I'd never, we'd never done this sort of thing before. So, but I, I I was just, you know, I snapped up the opportunity uh, to commentate along with Simon Duffin, who was a reporter back then as well. Like I mentioned, there was about a thousand odd in the ground, but Simon and I had the best seat in the seat in the house. We were obviously at Balls Paddock. There's a childcare centre above the clubhouse, and they have a little balcony. 
And fortunately enough, uh, we were able to sit on the balcony halfway up, the, halfway uh, on the halfway line, and it was a perfect vantage point for that that cracking match. The production quality was 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 lacking. I'll be honest. Uh, we we weren't sure what we were really getting into, and unfortunately, uh, the the cameraman we hired um, probably let us down a little bit. And maybe the commentary wasn't fantastic, but it was fantastic to be to be a part of. And look, we've. Football South Coast has been able to live stream a few more games uh, going forward. Last year, I know you were involved in, you commentated on uh, Wollongong United and Wollongong Olympic, which uh, you did a tremendous job of that. And of course, the the grand finals last year as well. I commentated on Coromel beating Olympic and Nathan Turner and Tim Gibson were involved in the younger age groups on that particular day. And the live stream quality, you know, uh, was was fantastic, and I think that the public really enjoyed that. I, I do hope it's something that we're able to do a lot more going forward, because the IPL, in my opinion, is a fantastic product, and it's something that uh, I believe people will engage with. And you look at uh, the likes of football New South Wales and Football Victoria, which are obviously a lot bigger um, associations but they've really pushed the boat out in terms of live streaming. And I think that it makes for, it just adds to the overall product. Um, and, you know, you're someone that's commentated uh, on a game as well. So I imagine you'd concur with that sentiment. Oh, I would absolutely agree. I think it really adds not so much a sense of uh, legitimacy, but I think it's, it makes it feel more, more, more special. And I think that's what we, you know, we really want to go for in um, a product, especially uh, with one that's as entertaining as the football near the Laura. I guess, I think that, oh, sorry. I just also want to say that I believe there's a lot of scope for producing a viable and entertaining product without, you know, getting Win TV to be, be down there with a massive crew of staff to... Uh, produce something that's worth watching so hopefully down the track that it's definitely something that's going to be more accessible absolutely i do want to kind of bring you know go down that path a little bit further and i know my own experiences preparing for a live commentary is it requires a lot more preparation uh to get all the statistics and you know all the players and i guess have something worthwhile to talk about to fill that 90 minutes was that a similar case for you when you did that game back in 2017? And I guess the further when you did the grand final last year? I think I had three or four pages for that first game. I can't really remember. But um, so you look at that game last year, my notes, I'd only, I only took one page of full notes and then I had one page that just had the lineup on it. And for me to put time codes such as when when the goals occurred, uh, substitutions and whatnot, without wanting to toot my own horn too much. <laughs> I, and it's not really tooting my own horn because most people, most people that watch the IPL know who all the players are that play for the two teams that are in the grand final because generally they're some of the best players in the, in the competition. Hmm. So I knew all the players, so I didn't have to... So I didn't have to say... Number five is X player. Number seven is a Y player. Well, I didn't have to concentrate on that. So, and that makes what Nathan and Tim did on that day so much more impressive. Like Nathan didn't know all the players in the under twenty threes games. Tim didn't know all the players in the under uh, the under was it eighteens? 
think it's just called youth grade, but I think it's on the 18s or 19s. They didn't know, they knew some of the players, but they, I've listened back to their commentary and it was exceptional that they were able to 90% of the time either say the player's correct name or say the Bulleye defender, the Wollongong United defender. So that's what I was really impressed by, that those are two younger guys that really stood up and grasped that opportunity. So in many ways, their job was a lot harder than what I had to do because I already knew who the, who the players were that I was uh, commentating on. Absolutely. I guess, uh, and you kind of just touched on it then, the, the media team at, you know, the F- that FSC have been doing are generally, you know, younger journalists looking to yeah. get a foot in the door in some way, shape or another. Do you think that working for the media unit kind of prepared you for a career in, in media? It's played a massive part in my development as a journalist. One of the big things is it's given me a lot of confidence to, to back myself as with what I'm writing. You look at the success of the journalists that have come out of Football South Coast. I've mentioned Daniel McGookin, who's gone on to write for the Daily Telegraph and uh, work out, I believe he works, is based out at Campbelltown or MacArthur Way. Lauren Ferry, who's working as a journalist up in Sydney. Of course, yourself working out at Griffith. And we've also had Simon Duffin, who was a journalist back in the UK before moving to Australia and taking on a job here, um, a job with Football South Coast in as a, as a hobby, I guess. And a lot of the other journalists that are writing for Football South Coast are aspiring to be full-time journalists one day, and but most of them are uni students. So I think it's a fantastic grounding. There's not many places that give rookies an opportunity to get this sort of experience and actually have a bit of financial reward as well. I've mentioned a few minutes ago how I was writing for free, which in many ways is fantastic as well for people when they're first starting out. But to actually get uh, some coins back in the pocket for what you're producing is also quite a satisfying thing when you first start out. I mentioned Bobby Mazevsky as well, who's the competition coordinator as well as a referee, as well as uh, the media coordinator. He's if you're if you put something to him, more times than not, he's willing to back you. So you can really turn the role into anything that you want to make it, which is fantastic. And I took on a job at Cobram about what would have been just before Easter last year. And I can't say it completely, working for Football South Coast completely prepared me for that because that was a, a massive challenge for me. It was a huge challenge for me. But my time with Football South Coast gave me the confidence and the knowledge that I knew how to interview people. I knew how to retell an event and I knew how to write a story, which in many ways is the key pillars of being a journalist. Absolutely. And I, I do agree with you. I think it's, you know, at least from my own experiences with the media team, it, it doesn't fully prepare you for a, for a job in the media, but it does give you, I guess, a good extension of the, the basic building blocks that you need to, to be a journalist. Um, and it also, you know, came with the extra benefit of you got to watch fantastic football every week. Good food around the grounds as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, but is there, a, uh, is there a particular food that you would be your go-to whenever you went to the football grounds? I've got two. Javapis mm. um, are obviously huge around the grounds. My favorite Javapi is, look, I could, I could lose some friends with this one, but my favorite <laughs> one is Coniston. That's my favorite <laughs> one. Uh, but my favorite food in the Illawarra Premier League or or 
the top two divisions would have to be a Savlaki wrap at uh, Wollongong Olympic. They're absolutely, absolutely sensational. I've got to be honest. And um, yeah, fair play to the people at the the PCYC gaming. <laughs> absolutely. I guess it wasn't just, you know, if food was the reason that we were out there. Uh, <laughs> there was also very good football on show. <laughs> Was there any any particular memorable games or you know really entertaining fixtures that you got the pleasure to coverage to cover? I've been to a a lot of local football games, and in fact, in two thousand and eighteen, which was my busiest year working for Football South Coast, all up because I write down every game that I go to. I went to one hundred and twenty seven games. That includes professional games, to be fair, but like A League and whatnot, but. A-League and even MPL, but mostly it's local Illawarra football. So I've got a pretty long list to, to choose from. We mentioned that that title decider in 2017 between Ball and Olympic. That was huge just because of the the hype around it. That was fantastic. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of three grand finals that, in a, like work on three grand finals, 2017, 18, and 19. We've mentioned 2019. I was lucky enough to commentate on it. And 2018, I in 2018 and 2017, I wrote the match report for the grand finals. Which, you know, 2017, Bulleye were odds on favourites to take out their first title in what 30 years or whatnot, and got done by fifth place Will Kembler in a in a stunning smash and grab job, which in front of a full house at Grand Park, which was fantastic to be a part of. It was fantastic to see such a boil over in front of a, a crowd that was uh, really quite raucous on that day. And then, you know, there was a, the fairy tale for Bulai the following season in a, in a cracking match that was back and forth between uh, with their rivals, Wollongong United. So those three games are really memorable. And obviously, as grand finals, they, they stick out quite a lot. Um, I love the FFA Cup. Um, I'm a stickler for the Cup. I've gone to plenty of cup games. I've travelled up to Picton on a midweek game, midweek night in the middle of winter to watch Picton take on Wollongong Olympic, uh, not Wollongong Olympic, Sydney Olympic rather, with a former A-League striker scoring three goals against Picton uh, to, to win the match. And you know, but an FFA Cup game that really sticks out was Bull IV Blacktown. Blacktown won that game three 0 but. Um, you know, just that that run below went on that season was pretty pretty strong. Um, Fury also got knocked out in that round that year on the same night against Hills Brumbies, but Blacktown actually drew Central Coast Mariners in the national draw, the, which was the very next round, and it just shows how close an IPL team can get to playing a professional club in Australia, which you know just makes me even a bit more excited. And Obviously, Tarawana had their chance a couple of years ago as well when they were knocked out by Harkawa in the uh, seventh round. So I love FFA Cup nights. In general, and like I said, they're generally nighttime games as well. And I'll absolutely love night football. Graham Park on a Friday night, I'll be there. There's, there's uh, yeah, like I said, plenty to choose from. Yeah, and I do want to touch a little bit more on uh, the FA Cup that you were talking about. You know, we, as you said, we've had teams go very close to the national draw. We've had Bulay go close. We had the Fury go close. We had Tarry go close. Do you think eventually a team from the IPL will make the national draw? Well, eventually is a very long time, Cal. Um, <laughs> one day, if you, let's say, let's put a limit on it. Do you think it's going to happen in the next five years? Look, it really comes down to the luck of the draw. Talking to people that were at 
Kemblewar Fury v uh, Hills Brumbies back in 2017. That game was played up there. I think they lost maybe 4-0 or something like that. And Hills were in the second division, MPL 2 at that stage. That seemed like a big opportunity missed. Fury were a very strong side that year on par with Bulleye before they got all those injuries. Against an MPL 2 team, you would have backed them with a decent chance to get through. And if uh, one of the top teams gets to that stage in the years ahead, you know, there's a good chance. But uh, it's really tough for for a IPL team to knock off an MPL 1 team. They're really desperate to make the national draw as well. You look at, like, the IPL are the extreme underdogs and they they want to get they want to get big nights such as against well Blacktown which was a big night that these MPL clubs want to get to the national draw where they are going to draw an A League side you look at like Arpia when they beat Melbourne Victory a couple of years back that's a massive night in their history so um, they they're going to be they're always going to be well up for taking on teams at the before the round the national draw so it's really hard it comes down to the luck of the draw if if one of the top teams can get an MPL 2 team uh, in that last round, you never know. But, um, yeah, there are players... You, you look at the success of the Wolves last season, which had a couple of uh, former IPL players in there. So you, you see that there are players in this league that, that can compete at that level, which gives you hope that, yeah, one day there'll be enough in a team to uh, challenge uh, an MPL side and knock, knock them off their perch in the seventh round. And... Yeah, hopefully um, draw the likes of uh, Sydney FC or a Melbourne Victory at uh, at home. It's probably, to be fair, it's probably a game that's going to end up being played at Wynn Stadium, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. No, definitely something to keep an eye on in the future, I hope, uh, that we eventually do see a team from the Illawarra that, you know, isn't just the Wolves make the national draw, but... we'll keep our fingers crossed, I guess. <laughs> and I guess it does very much uh, play into that discussion of pathways we do see you know there's a lot of ways to get to the top in Australian football uh, and I guess it you know it also at least in my opinion there's a bunch of different draw cards the different reasons I guess why you would kind of look at you know you'd consider going over a, to a local game then go to an A-League game uh, for your money do you think that there's you know any particular draw cards that the Illawarra is particularly good at in when it comes to local football and drawing people in I'm really biased towards local football I absolutely love it <laughs> And really, I, I grew up, like I said before, I wasn't overly connected with Illawarra football growing up. I was I was someone that used to get up to watch Real Madrid playing on ESPN with my dad and uh, Man United back in the day. But, you know, you get a bit of, at least me, at least I've become a bit disillusioned with professional football and, you know, with all the money involved, it's it's moving further and further away from real life and, I think football is all about stories and and good stories are generally ones that people can relate to and it's probably hard to relate to a story which involves someone that's earning $100,000 a week. Um, saying that, I don't begrudge them making the money that they're making in the professional level. That's, that's fine and that's fair play to them. But you look at the local level and these people are actually, you know, you know, they walk among us, I guess, and they're, they're normal people. And while the quality isn't the same, um, when you put them up against players, the opposition that are of a similar quality, you're still going to get a um, spectacle that uh, is, is is entertaining. Absolutely. I guess you mentioned stories earlier and, you know, how they kind of draw people in. 
have there been any during your time with you know football in the region that kind of have have stuck with you or were memorable or anything like that? Well, of course, there there are plenty. One that I flicked through the other day actually was I wrote a story a couple of years ago about the 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 fall and rise of Coniston Malambi when they were both gunning for the for promotion back in two thousand and eighteen. Teams that have you know struggled in the district league and even in Coniston's case going down to community league and their story about how they have managed to sort themselves out on and off the field and well both now back in the Premier League is a it was a is a fantastic story. Um and some other ones that I've covered from memory are Byung-Kuk Cho, the Korean international that signed for South Coast United. The reason he's come to the league, it's because his family have migrated to Australia. The son's involved with the with the junior club. You know, it's a, it's a quite compelling story. The Albion Park City story when they first got involved with the FFA Cup and Craig Foster got involved and they managed to pull a massive crowd at McLennan Park to play Coniston to raise in that with a lot of proceeds going towards charity as well. That's a fantastic story that I was fortunate enough to be involved with as well. And um, on the women's side of things, Albion Park, when they um, went to uh, 59, their 59 match unbeaten run was was a tremendous story for not just local women's football, but uh, local football in generally. I would have put together a lot more stories than that, but they're just a couple uh, off the top of my head. No, absolutely. I think it's 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 definitely great seeing some of the stories. And as you mentioned, the Albion Park uh, women's side, we going on that monster run was just absolutely fantastic. I think to follow along and and see them just you know they looked unbeatable at times um, until they eventually you know it did come to an end. <laughs> but <laughs> what can you do right? there? <laughs> that's that's how it works. You have to you'll you lose eventually. Also, um, the Ueda story that was fantastic. That mm. record breaking. Uh, season he had, I, th- I believe it was 31 goals that happened to break a 31 year record by, uh, that was held by Joe Coelho. And like, just that was what I loved about that was um, I went down there. Ueda doesn't, is not not overly proficient in English, uh, but his English is a lot better than Japanese, my Japanese, to be fair. And, uh, but Kajiro Hori helped me as a translator for that, for that interview, <laughs> which uh, was a fantastic to have that opportunity as well. And that's, that's uh, another you know, pretty special story for me. You did take a job down in Cobram near the Victorian border in April uh, of last year. How is, how is that moving from you know, a big established city and region to uh, a town that's significantly smaller? Yeah, Cobram Baruga, the Cobram Courier, was the one journalist at a weekly newspaper covering general news and sport it was a bizarre old time and fortunately I was able to get really close with the Cobram Roar as well in the IPL you can't I'm really trying my best to be neutral which which I am I don't I don't go for any clubs up here I don't support any clubs up here but fortunately in Cobram it was a one-team town and the closest team to you is an hour away I was able to uh you know develop into a a bit of a raw supporter I guess and that was uh that was fantastic, and I was lucky enough to uh, be given a um, Cobram Roar jacket. I presented their Player of the Year trophy, and um, I, I sat in the sat in their dugout on a couple of occasions. So that was fantastic. Um, and I think that they had a side that's because they're the only soccer club, as it's called. Soccer is definitely what it's called down there, <laughs> rather than football. Um, within an hour, 
all of those players are local except for one lad that they had who was who was um, from England, and that makes for a really good club culture. Like here, for like, imagine if all of Albion Park's players were from Albion Park, or all of Bagani's players were from Bagani. It, no, it would no doubt make the the culture within the club tremendous. I'm not saying that their culture isn't fantastic, but that experience covering that raw was uh was was one to remember and hopefully uh at some point I'll be able to um pass by and and uh watch a game or two in the future because yeah I just not that it's really overly relevant to the Illawarra football crowd but they were fortunate enough to uh be well till this season got postponed they were going to be playing out of a new venue this year as well so fair play mm-hmm. to them on that front Absolutely. And now you have ended back up in Wollongong via a, I guess, a detour at the Latrobe Valley Express. Uh, how was that experience? So, yeah, after six months in Cobram, I wanted to take up a job at the Express, which is in a, in the Latrobe Valley, uh, based in Morwell, which is a, is a bigger paper. It's a twice a week and it's a, bit, a bigger area. And I'd always wanted to be a sports journalist. Look, it was a... It was it was a very interesting period. It was there was no, I was there for six months. There wasn't uh, any soccer to report on over the off season, so it was cricket and lawn bowls and tennis and one. It was very interesting. I covered like a like Australian Open junior qualifiers. I covered. Uh, I was able to report on. Um, you know, national lawn bowls, national darts, uh, like over 60s Australian representative cricket players. Like it was a very interesting experience, but it didn't really work out for one reason or another. I learned a lot from the people I worked with. I went from working by myself as the only journalist to working with a group of um, three, four, uh, four other journalists and editor. So I was able to, you know, really develop my craft in, in, in many ways. But Unfortunately and honestly, my passion for it probably wasn't there in the level that it had to be. So I decided I was going to uh, look for a job back in general news. And that's what led me to take up a position at the River and Herald, which was run by the editor that also over, oversaw Cobram as well. So it was a person that I already knew. His name was Andrew Mull, a guy that's been in the newspaper game for, for decades. And I took that up. But uh, pretty much straight away, I knew that something wasn't right. And that was when I started to recognize that I was struggling to deal with some mental health issues. And on reflection, it was probably issues that had perhaps, well, that lingered for, on reflection, they've lingered for for many years, but definitely had um, stuck their head above the parapet, so to speak, in my time down in Morwell. Perhaps my issues down in Morwell may have related to my mental health rather than, and that may may have been the reason why I wasn't able to feel as committed to that position. So I spoke to Andrew and said, "Look, I I need to I need to start managing my mental health. I can't keep ignoring it." And uh, the great person that he is, he said, "Look." I completely understand, and he allowed me to, whether it was take a few days off or, as I said, I need to be go home to sort this out, which I did. And, you know, I'm fortunately have started dealing with that, so I don't regret making the, making the decision to come home. And, yeah, that, was, that decision was a, a week or two before the coronavirus 
situation really took hold, um, which has completely upended the uh, media landscapes, which is a whole other story. But um, as things stand, I plan to get myself entrenched back in local football, which obviously can't be seen as a negative thing. Absolutely. And you pretty much have since, I guess, the uh, COVID pandemic has kicked off. You've been doing away from the pitch now for 15 episodes. So, and you've been involved in a number of podcasts that the local region has done in the past. You know, the FSC Weekly Show that you kind of spearheaded uh, when you were running with the media unit back then. I guess, uh, why, in your opinion, is it important to increase the level of media and access to information in local footballing scenes? Well, I think it gives it a gives the competition a platform and a and a bit more and a chance to showcase those stories. Podcasting has been a tremendous a tremendous platform for a whole raft of things, but football in particular and local football in particular, and you know that you've you've been you've been involved with a number of uh, independent podcasts. And what I like about it is it's a very fair medium. And what I mean by that is that it's free and it's open to anyone. When I first started out, I was using a you know a, a fifty fifty sixty dollar handheld recorder thing, which I just put on a table and started talking to people. And while the sound quality wasn't awesome, it wasn't studio quality. If you if you were to uh, use the studio at the University of Wollongong, but it was good enough for stories to be told. The Football South Coast Weekly was an initiative that was supported by Bobby. And I've got to say that Simon was fantastic in helping me get that up and running because he was the one that I initially put the idea to. We recorded a couple of draft episodes to put to Bobby to see if he was going to take it on. So if it wasn't for for Simon's support, that wouldn't have got off the ground. Um, So... I'll, I'll send these through to him. So I, th- I want to say to you, Simon, thank you very much for that. And, you know, you look further down the line, really the weekly was unprecedented on the local scene. And from there, the Wollongong Football Show was up and running for a year and a half or so, and they produced some some pretty good stuff. The South Coast Football Holiday had started off re- up recently. Football United v Soccer City is a podcast that interviews a lot of the a lot similar to away from the pitch, they interview a lot of present and current figures in local football. Travis Falks heads that, and that's absolutely sensational. The amount of information that he is able to put together to produce a really insightful podcast. And look, I really hope there's there's uh, plenty of other podcasts that come out of this region covering local football or New South Wales football and whatnot down the line because I think it's just a you know, an excellent platform and it really, it's good for, it gives me a voice, which is fantastic. It gives other reporters a voice, but it also, it gives, in the most important sense, it also gives players and coaches a chance to speak to, speak to the Illawarra footballing community, which is fantastic. And I appreciate the immense support that players and coaches gave me over the the couple of years that I ran the weekly because I think probably 85, 90% of the time when I ask, can you come on the podcast? They, they would all, they, yeah, 85 to 90% of the time they said yes. Absolutely. And I, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see that, you know, like 
expansions into new mediums are being accepted by the community. And I guess you'd probably know better than I how well this series has gone down in the local community. <laughs> it was something that obviously came about because there is a lack of football because of coronavirus. So it was just an idea to fill a bit of a gap. And obviously the Illawarra Premier League isn't the English Premier League. It doesn't have a worldwide audience. So you're not going to get people from... Uh, the back of Baku listening to podcasts about the Illawarra Premier League, but you get over the years you get you you do get a consistent audience of listeners within what is a a closed market, and you do get feedback from people from week to week. That's you know really rewarding, and it, sometimes it's not always great. Sometimes people say you don't know what you're talking about, but if you delve into that and ask them what particular about their opinions, it's uh, it can also kickstart a conversation as well. So what I want is even if 20 people listen to the podcast, unfortunately I'm, I'm lucky enough to say more people do listen to the podcast than 20, <laughs> but if those 20 people are engaged to the podcast and enjoy it, and if one or two of them are willing to give me feedback and talk to me about it, or it starts a conversation with someone else in that group of 20, that's that's fantastic as well. I do want to ask, you know, what's what's next for Dylan Arvella? What's your next moves looking like? I know with, you know, COVID, everything's a little bit up in the air at the moment, but do you have plans on what your next goal is, what your next six months to a year is? The coronavirus situation has made things pretty odd and pretty difficult to, to uh, lay down plans, but I do plan on being in the Illawarra for the foreseeable future. There's a chance that... I could end up going back to university uh, if I, unless something else pops up. But um, at least for the next year or so, yeah, Wollongong is definitely the place that I envisage myself being, which fortunately means that I'll be able to cover this season if we are able to get up and underway and hopefully the 2021 season as well, which, you know, I'm really buzzing for. That's fantastic to hear. And I'm sure all the people who, you know, have dealt with you in the past they'll be very happy to see you back in town essentially (laughs) i um i do know it's a bit of a running bit on this program but i do want to ask five aside team you have spent the majority of your i guess involvement with football not playing (laughs) but i imagine you'd still be able to pull up a pretty decent five aside team with people that you've, you've played with Look, it's not as impressive as, as any of the team. Actually, I'll, I'll lie, but my I'll, I'll lie. But my team itself is actually not too bad, but my playing career isn't overly impressive. <laughs> I'll just go through it quickly because this has actually gone a lot longer than I thought it would go. Um, in goalkeeper, my goalkeeper for this side is Yanni Mavrikas, who is just signed for Winuna this year. He's a great kid, an absolutely fantastic kid. And I remember he started, restarted playing for Bergani in, I think it was under 16s. I played against him. I was playing for Dapdo at the time. And he was uh, he was fantastic for them that year. And he was able to pull off some fantastic saves. And I actually ended up playing for him, playing with him for Kira High on a couple of occasions. So that's my linkage to Yanni Mavriquez. Uh, my defender is uh, Justin Mears, who's playing for Berkeley in the District League. I played with him in that Dapdo under-16 side. 
he was a very calm head, the captain of the side. And also in that Dapto outfit was a midfielder by the name of Dylan Ray, who was an all-action midfield midfielder. I think he, I'm pretty sure his favourite player is Steven Gerrard. And if Steven Gerrard was playing for Dapto under, sec, under 16 second division, Dylan Ray would be his embodiment. And I guess my team really explodes up front with two players that I've played with at Kira High again in Bulleye forward Dylan Lewis and A-League striker Jordan Murray. Uh, so, you know, while my uh, my playing exploits aren't fantastic, I'm, I was fortunate enough to be able to run around the park with those five lads. Oh, absolutely. And I imagine that's, you know, that's that's no uh, team to sniff at. They can definitely do a job on any day, I think. <laughs> They'll score a few goals at least. Oh, for sure. The firepower up front there in uh, Lewis and Murray would be frightening for any back line. <laughs> no doubt. Well, that's pretty much all the questions I have. But uh, Dylan, thank you for joining me on your show. <laughs> Look, it's been, it's been sensational, Cal, and... I, I do hope you're doing well. It was fantastic working with you at Football South Coast. You've gone on to work through your own journalism career, which is really fantastic. I'm really happy for you. And, you know, even as someone who's worked with you, I'm, I'm proud of you as well. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly wholesome way to end the program. Um, okay, well, thank you for joining us on Away From The Pitch. We'll see you next time. <laughs>